0: Continuing on in our series, we're calling Frontline Confidence, and hopefully, you've been able to connect with the uh, devotional materials, and it was good to help some people get uh, connected to that online thing. If you're if you're following along with that, and you started on Ash Wednesday, you got to skip the Sundays to make it work. So t- tomorrow would be day eleven if as you're, if you're playing along. If you get ahead or behind, do, go at your own pace. Just generally, after a week, you know, do a handful of them, and I'll try to let you know you know, where you're tracking. But uh, but we're thinking about what it would mean to live confidently on the front lines of our lives. And front line, we define that as a church. As the front line is the place in your life where you're going to interact with people who don't know Jesus. And for all of us, I would guess that there is some place in your day where you're going about life and you're going to interact with people who don't know Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, you understand that you have a frontline ministry, that you have a role to play to to bless those places where God has put you, to bring the message of God's kingdom and and of His love with you uh, to those places where God has placed you. And so, what we've sort of seen is that we, we want that kind of ministry, we want to live that way of life, but Inevitably, we, we get a little timid on our front lines. We shrink back. We can be quiet. And we want to live as a blessing in those places, but we, we sometimes lack confidence. So we're going to do something about that. And, um, you know, again, following God in those places, it's not about living confident you know, in ourselves, but living confident in, in our God, who is the object of our faith. And God has given us Uh, different graces, different gifts, to be able to live more confidently for him. So today our topic is confidence through community. And I think I maybe overstate it a little bit sometimes when I talk about this. So I often talk about how when we're gathered, you know, we're the church gathered right now, and we're together, and we're equipping, and we're building up, and then we're going to scatter to the places where God calls us, and we'll just be alone out in those places. And that's kind of an overstatement, because as we scatter, we still have each other. We're still connected to each other as God's people throughout the week, even as we scatter. And in those places where we're interacting with people who don't know Jesus, my, my guess is that you probably run into some people who are also followers of Jesus who can be an encouragement in those places. We can live confidently because we have each other. God has given us each other. And uh, the, the, the problem, though, is that our culture, we live in a very individualized culture, really in some ways hyper-individualized, where less and less people are seeking to connect with God and his kingdom and his people and his way, and when when you don't devote yourself to God's purposes, you have to devote yourself to some other purpose. Often that purpose is sort of self-actualization or just becoming you know, my best version of me or achieving my own personal goals, and we get more and more disconnected from greater purposes and broader communities. And then, of course, uh, the, the last few years a pandemic did not help this during the the heat of the pandemic remember we we came up with all kinds of innovative ways to not interact with people to live more individualized such that even and some of that stuff kind of just carried into today without even really noticing so you can go to a restaurant sit down sometimes there's just like a qr code on the table You scan it, you make your order, and then, yes, somebody does have to bring it to you, but then you just pay for it on your phone and walk out. You don't even, you need very little human interaction when that would have taken a number of different interactions with the server over time. The same thing, say, at the grocery store. You don't, there's a certain chaos and beauty to going into a store with other humans where you might crash your cart. You might need to get to the shelf where somebody's reading the ingredients off of a label, and you just need to grab something off the shelf, but you don't want to reach around the person. or And so yeah, the, the, some of that is not, those aren't necessarily the most encouraging interactions. But now you could just go on, go on your device, drive into a parking spot, hit a button, pop the trunk, put your groceries in. You don't even have to look at the person. You drive off, you get everything you need. You didn't crash one car. You didn't have to have any human interaction. And my my point is that We more and more. It's it's easy to isolate, and yet God's design is in God's design for humanity is to be in community, and specifically for His people to be a family in community together. The very first thing in the Bible that God says is not good is when He creates a human being, and He says it is not good for that human being to be alone. So God made another human being to complement and to uh, to. To work together because that is God's design in the created order that, uh, that humans are to be together. And then Jesus, of course, his, his people, his followers are known as a body that works together. They are known as a, a family uh, that, that you know, is, is living in, in such a way of community together. And that Christian community helps us to live confidently. So I want to explore this a little bit today. We're going to look at uh, this part of a letter to the church in Thessalonica uh, that Paul wrote to this young church, and we're going to dig a little deeper into this notion of of being connected in community today. So let us pray. So Father, we, we actually do thank you that you have called us to be together, a community, a family, and I pray that something that we experience or something that we hear this morning during this time might prompt us to, to dig deeper into what this is and how to live it out. And, and Lord, that it would be part of your good work of equipping us and, and giving us strength and confidence in our everyday lives. So we give ourselves to you. We give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, uh, so Thessalonica, this is one of the cities that the Apostle Paul visited on his journeys, of the, the very first journeys of sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. And, and this was a place where the good news of Jesus was received by faith, and many followers of Jesus uh, sprung up in this community. But it was a very difficult place to be a Christian. This is a, a new religious minority, kind of a fringe group. They're proclaiming a king that's not Caesar and so, because of that, there was persecution against these these young Christians, and it was a dangerous place. In fact, Paul and his companion had to flee the city, and they had to leave quickly. And they were worried because it was such a hard place to be a Christian. Uh, but what they found out was that this this commu- this young community was actually thriving. They were doing quite well, even in spite of the difficulties they faced. And but what happened was, it was just dis- I mean, they were becoming somewhat discouraged by these troubles as well as they were doing. And they were also confused. They were confused about some theological issues, like what happens when my loved one dies? Where do they go? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. What, what happens? Are they going to miss out? And then they were worried about the return of Jesus and the timing of that. And they, they had all these questions. And what Paul wrote to them was this. He said, look, encourage each other speak God's word to each other remember the good news of Jesus that that even if you die um, you will be united with him are we are saved by Jesus to be united to him and that you're you know encourage each other so as you lose people you love you can grieve that, but you grieve with the hope of resurrection. You, um, you know, we don't have to worry about the future when Jesus comes back because we're we're going to be with Him, and it will be everything's going to be okay. And so, encourage each other. And the key verse for us is verse eleven. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. You're going to use your words to to speak God's word to others, to um, speak words of encouragement, and to and to build up. And just as life was not easy for those early Christians, they had their doubts and their misunderstandings. That's our life too. Where there's those moments where we're not sure of our faith or we're worried about something or we're grieving a loss and we just need the encouragement of our spiritual family, of our Christian brothers and sisters to build us up. And so then the next few verses here just give a bunch of ways to do that or what this looks like to encourage and build each other up. And we're just going to go through a bunch of these. So here we go. Verse 12 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, highest regard in love because of their work. So here he's saying, look, you have an opportunity to encourage those around you who are working hard. In the context, he's talking about church leaders specifically, but this same principle applies in, a, in our spiritual family, to anybody who you see who is striving and working hard and living out their faith. And those are people who we should see that and we should encourage that and we should you know, speak words of blessing into that. Um, I think there's two groups of people lately that I've just been so impressed with and I see them working hard. One is parents of young children. And, because I've been there, and it is, it can be thankless, and it can be just, it's just a grind, and it doesn't end, and the kids are waking up, and the kids are sick, and the kids are crying and hungry, and, you know, and, and you have to feed them, and you have to, you know, so it's, but you're, and you're trying to do it in a way that honors God at the same time, and this thankless work, and I look at young families, and I say, you're doing a fantastic job. Keep up the good work. It's not easy. Um, and on the other end of the spectrum, I look at, I look at people who are caring for um, aging family members, aging parents, and aunts and uncles, or whoever that you have care for. And I see how tireless and, and thankless that work can be, and how much care is needed at the, towards the end of life. And to see the, the love that's given. And, and I think, you know, God gave a list of commands. And in that command with things like don't murder another person, don't steal someone else's stuff, in the same list says honor your mother and father. And I see how um, the the generations before us are being honored and cared for, um, but the difficult decisions and and just the difficulty of that. And I want to say, you know, a word of encouragement, if that's you. God bless you. God is with you in that. You're fulfilling his law. You're obeying his command, and there's a goodness in that for you. And again, here, the, 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 the overarching command to encourage and support one another, look at people who are working hard and doing these kind of things and acknowledge it, encourage it. Uh, another one in verse 13 says, Live at peace with one another. Right, so this is a command. Living at peace with each other as a spiritual family isn't something that just automatically happens. It's something that we strive towards. It's something that we have to be careful of and work you know, to make every effort to keep the unity of God's spirit in the bond of peace, as his word says. And So the, the way that we act towards each other is going is to bring about peace, God's peace. Um, but conflicts among Christians happen and it's sad, and we you you see churches in conflict, and you see individuals, you know, individual Christians in conflict with one another, and it, it's heartbreaking. Um, and it can be big, you know, things that divide churches, you know, big, um, you know, political split, split or a big theological split or whatever that is. But it's all it can also just be little interpersonal things that never get dealt with, because our because remember we still have a sinful nature that God is transforming, but. Because we have that sinful nature, we can fall on either side of what's sometimes described as a slippery slope where on one side is we become very conflict avoidant and on the other side we can attack and and most people have the kind of their uh, their natural way of reacting to conflict where they'll attack or they'll withdraw, but where we're called as Christians is to enter into that with God's grace and to make it a priority to live at peace with each other, but it doesn't come naturally. So this is something that we need to strive towards. Another way we live this out, verse 14, is it says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. And so, idle and disruptive is actually just one word in Greek, which could mean idle or disruptive. So our translators give us both here. But um, idle is really the, or lazy, is the part of this where there comes a time, too, as we seek to encourage each other, is that we need to encourage people to get in the game, to live this out, that, this, that what God has called us to is not a spectator sport, that we are called to love and serve, and we need to lovingly encourage people, hey, come along, serve with me, get in the game, uh, get, be part of this. You know, if, if, you think of, if you think of a workplace where you currently work or where you've worked in the past, if you've ever been in a workplace... Where some of the people work really, really hard, and then there's an individual or a group of people who do not. That is one of the most demoralizing. That's one of the most. That's one of the worst environments you could work in, where people are devoted to the task or to accomplishing the goal, and you have people who are not pulling their weight, and it's just it's it just um, breaks the whole thing apart. So here, it's important to remember: hey, we're all in this together. And sometimes people need to be encouraged along those lines. And sometimes we need to encourage in that way. And that proverb that was read for us, you know, iron sharpens iron. There is no self-sharpening sword. Sometimes we need people to speak into our lives to remind us, to to encourage us along this good path. Also in verse 14, um, encourage the disheartened. We know that as as we go, we look around us and there's people who are just beat up, just they've, they've experienced losses, they're struggling in different ways, um, they just, it's a failure, a loss, like just perpetual conflict or whatever it is, and they're just disheartened. The, the command here is to, those are people we need to encourage. Those are people we need to reach out to. Those are people who need to be reminded that God is still good, that God still loves them, that they're not a waste, that that God's purposes are still valid, that God's kingdom is still advancing in this world in spite of this discouragement and the things that would dishearten us. So we need to encourage. um, they, they, They need to be encouraging. Now, sometimes you're in a low place, and somebody tries to encourage you, and they say the stupidest things. The most unhelpful stuff. But at the end of the day, I think we know that maybe that person doesn't totally understand my pain. <laughs> that person may not totally understand my loss, but I'm not alone. I have people around to encourage me, even if it was not well delivered. But we, we need to be people who just seek to be encouragers. Uh, verse, 14 also, uh, verse, verse 14 also, help the weak who were the weak in Paul's day? Well, I mean, certainly there were, in a community like that, there could have been people who were physically weak or disabled. Think about the first century. I mean, we have so much medical technology and advancement and cars and wheels and all kinds of wonderful uh, stuff to help people cope who are otherwise physically weak, doors that open automatically. But in the first century, just the amount of support that somebody who was physically weak would need to go about their day-to-day life, uh, but also the weak can also be those who are weak in temptation, those who are prone to fall into temptation. In chapter four of the same letter, Paul's uh, describing those who were falling into sort of sexual temptation and lust and immorality, and and again, these are people who are weak in these ways need to be supported and encouraged, not shunned and pushed away, but encouraged in a good path of turning from temptation and sin and turning back to, the, to receive God's grace and to walk a good path forward. So we help those who are weak. Uh, verse 14, be patient with everyone. Whatever that meant in the first century, I'm sure it means the same today. In every era, in every generation, if, you, if someone just said to you, be patient with everyone, you say, oh, that needs no explanation. Verse 15, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Now, this is interesting. In, in Jesus' family, there is a whole new way of getting even. So the, the world's way, apart from Jesus, of getting even is if I'm wronged, I retaliate. Or I, uh, I seek to get revenge against you. Oh, you're going to treat me that way? Well, I'm going to treat you right back, and you're gonna, it's going to come right back to you. In Jesus' family, we do not pay wrong for wrong or evil for evil. We, we are wronged, and we, we pay it ourselves through forgiveness. You absorb that wrong that was done to you, and we offer forgiveness. Why? Because that's how Jesus operates. He takes our sin on himself on the cross, and he forgives us, but it costs him. And for us, when we are wronged, we absorb that, and we offer forgiveness, and we seek to be reconciled. We don't just continue the cycle of revenge. And and the the encouragement here is just, hey, in your spiritual family, make sure this doesn't happen. Make sure you don't fall back into this way of paying back wrong from wrong. That's how the world works. That is not how my kingdom works. Lastly, in verse 15, it says, Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So as we go about our lives, we're seeking to to do what is good for each other as, as God's people, to encourage each other, again, to spur each other towards that which is good, but not just for each other, but for everyone that means everybody in the world. That means anyone you interact with. We're seeking the, the, the common good of our places of work, of our neighborhoods, of our communities, of our nation. We're seeking the common good for everyone. That includes people who we see as our enemy. People we see as the other. That, that, that We're to seek their good as well. This is a beautiful vision. And I hope you're catching this. A beautiful vision of the local church community as a place of Mutual comfort, mutual encouragement, but also mutual patience with each other and serving one another as well. How do we live this out practically? How do we encourage one another and build one another up as we go from this place? Here's what I'd say when you scatter, when we scatter from this gathering, even if there's not another Christian around you, you probably have. A mobile phone. I'm guessing most of you. Now, our devices are can be a huge liability, and it's a, it's a thing that can actually isolate us from other people, even if you're looking at other people's lives and just kind of scrolling through your social media feeds or whatever, that, and just getting dragged into that. But it's also a beautiful thing that can connect you to other people, and at any time of the day, typically, you could just send a quick word of encouragement or blessing to somebody. Now, I get texts all day. I sometimes get annoyed, especially if somebody wants a reply right away and they don't know that I can't reply right away and it would be impolite for me to start to reply right away and I have to kind of wait on that and I feel the pressure of that. So that's kind of one of the liabilities. But man, every now and then somebody will just, a word of blessing, boom. Just, hey, thinking of you today, praying for you today, just want to remind you of God's love and those, just the easiest, simple way to connect with another person, even though you're you're apart from them physically. We can be encouragers to others. Um, But I know when we talk about this kind of encouragement and spiritual family that there are people, even in a big group like this, can feel very isolated to say, you know what, I don't really have close Christian friends. I don't have people who are reaching out to me. I I don't have that encouragement, but I want it. Here's what I'd say to you is to to take the first step, to be the encourager. Don't focus on the encouragement that you need, but think about how God has equipped you to be the encourager to someone else and start just serving people and loving people and sending those words of encouragement and being the one taking the initiative. And and my guess is that as you start to live that way of life, you're going to be very fulfilled. Those feelings of loneliness and isolation, as you seek to be the blesser, are going to be a blessing to you. Even if it's not fully reciprocated, that there's going to be goodness and connection that you feel through that. Um, And also, uh, find other Christians. Wherever you go, wherever you're kind of alone walking with the Lord, oftentimes God will bring people into your life who also know him. But the thing is, because we're kind of quiet about our faith, and other people kind of quiet about our faith, it's hard to see sometimes, and we don't always make these connections. But keep your eyes open, and um, and when you meet somebody who's a person of faith, make faith kind of the key part of your of your conversation. Hey, how's your church going? How's your you know? Tell me what you been, have you been reading in scripture. Or, you know what? What can I be praying for you? And just keep and even in a place of work. We know I know of at least three or. four or workplace Bible studies that have cropped up because of this in this church from this church um, for people in this church, and again, that's not necessarily the goal is to start kind of a community at work. But if that door opens, that's great. But just to have you know someone else around you, so you know that you are not alone. Uh, I remember when when Fernando gave me permission to share this story, so he was on staff here for many years, when he left his position at the church to start working at the school, he was so worried that he would be so isolated in his faith. And Public schools in Massachusetts aren't exactly known as places of Christian fellowship, typically, so he he goes to his first day of orientation, and the whole school district in, in this big auditorium, and a woman gets up, and she's an administrator over the whole school district, and she was inter- she was new to the district, and she was introducing herself. She said, "My name is so and so." And there was a slide with all stuff. Here's my hobbies. Here's what I like to do. And it said, "I am a Christian," on the slide, and went through. And he's like holding back the tears, sitting there. It's like this is the first person, one of the administrators. She's a Christian, and he goes up to her afterwards, and he's and he's a follower of Jesus, and he knows she's you know presenting herself to everybody as a Christian. He goes up to her and just he just grabs her, right? <laughs> it's totally inappropriate. Totally. It's also totally Fernando. But he gives her a big hug with his permission. I'm sharing this. And she said, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus too. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I just he just felt um, that God had him in the right place for that season of time. And so, um, you know, we look out for people sometimes try to signal their faith in different ways. You'll see, you know, they might just have a little saying written or they're wearing a cross. You could ask people, hey, that's a nice Nicholas, tell me about your cross. Although, although we had a student, true story, Phillips Academy student, a number of years ago, and she would wear a cross everywhere, and somebody saw it, and they said, hey, why do you wear a T? A T. <laughs> the letter T. These are the brightest kids in America. <laughs> like, so it doesn't always work, right? But to find ways to, to live that out, to find those people, that could be a huge encouragement Um, I hope you can see how important it is that we encourage one another, we keep each other going. God, this is God's design. He's designed you to live this way, to be connecting with God's people um, as we live this out. Let us pray together. So Father, I just, we thank you for your design. We thank you that you have given us this beautiful spiritual family. And I pray just as the, the church, the, the, this early church in Thessalonica was encouraged to live it out more and more, I pray Lord that we would also leave here encouraged to live it out more and more. And I pray Lord especially for those in our community who are lonely, who feel isolated, who um, who lack deep friendship, Lord. And I just pray that you would open doors uh, for them to be encouragers and to, to take those steps of of serving and loving and and doing what you've equipped them to do, that they might know purpose and meaning and and, and know that you are with them always, Lord, and that that true uh, Christian community would grow from that. And so may it be. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.